welcome to our episode, our 16th episode. Is it? Yup. Our sweet 16? Our sweet 16 of Unfortunately Required Reading. Hello. Hello. This week's episode is Friends Don't Let Friends Go Bohemian. I mean, it's telling that I just was uh, watching Rinse, so I think this is quite apropos. I know you were worried that your voice was going to be shot, but you're doing pretty good. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I also... I. I came in right as all the songs that I like started, and then I dipped out right as Maureen started talking because I hate Maureen. So I've never seen Rent. What? I know. That was very sharp and pointed. <laughs> I, I have never seen Rent. How have you never seen Rent? Because I used to go to karaoke, and people That's would like... sing Take Me or Leave Me every week, and I finally got uh, to the point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. That's like by required reading. Maureen is like one of five by characters and anything. Okay, I'll watch Rent. I mean, it's 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 high-key problematic nowadays. To be fair, though, I haven't seen Cats either, and now that's becoming a big deal. In all fairness, I don't think anyone has seen Cats. It is definitely one of the most hated musicals ever. Because uh, typically, if you go see Cats, it's very, um, it's like Rocky Horror, but bad. It's a lot of people who take theater too seriously and, like, fursuits grinding up on you, which is terrifying if you're a child. Uh, so, like, it's like Rocky Horror, but not fun. Because, like, Rocky Horror can be a lot to swallow, which, yes, pun intended. Like, that can be a lot to take in. But, like, if you're into that, that can be life-changing. Cats is a bunch of proto-furries rubbing against you awkwardly, singing. There's one good song in Cats. One. And it's the song you probably know. The memory one? Yeah. That's it. That's your one good song in Cats. So I've been to a Rocky Horror show because I got conned into it as a promotional gig and I showed up and I got written on in lipstick, yep. which was really awkward because the next day we had a photo shoot. But other than that. Yeah. Rocky Horror is one of those things. Like Theater is so weird. That's such a sell for people that it's like, I can't imagine you have to be into theater to like things like this. Like you can't take like a muggle to Avenue Q. Hot. I was thinking about it. I'm like, Muggles to Avenue Q. Hot, unadulterated puppet sex. <laughs> I tried to get Mark to listen to part of Avenue Q, and he's just like, "I what? what is this? Because when you're in the kitchen singing, everyone's a little bit racist at like two in the afternoon. When you are in a full duet in the car singing, um, it's, it's okay to be gay. <laughs> so fun. Like, there was one road trip that uh, I was like, I was singing part of it because of course I was. And my aunt was like, is there any song that you can sing to that? that is appropriate to, like, all the family. And I'm like, no. What do you do with the BA in English? Maybe there's a fine, fine line, but... So... Okay, sorry, we're talking about... We're talking about Charles Baudelaire, because it is still my birth month. And (sighs) that is the proper way to say it. Yeah. YouTube. Baudelaire. Okay, so I said Baudelaire, like, my whole life, and then Amanda goes, Baudelaire, and I'm like, Okay. <laughs> and then my husband this morning, when I pronounced it correctly, goes, Odelay. And I'm like, no, no. stop. Um, I, I mean, you could say Baudelaire. Like, honestly, no. At this stage, he's dead. He doesn't care. I feel like we need to have a shirt that's just all our pretentious pronunciation. Howda. Howda. <laughs> I think that's where, like, most draw the line with me. That it's like, out of all the times you can be a pedantic fuckwit, Howda is the one that it's like, you need to be stopped. You are a monster and you need to be stopped. You're a cheese monster. I am 100% a cheese monster. Um, we'd also like to thank Christopher P. for your support. 
Thank you so much for being one of our um, donors every month. We appreciate appreciate it a lot. We're very, very grateful uh, in our continued sponsor, uh, Jason. Thank you, Jason. It's wonderful to feel some of that, you know, that our efforts affect people. We feel loved and we appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, very much appreciative. Uh, Today, we're drinking the Corpse Reviver 2, which is also still anachronistic, but we had a Corpse Reviver 1 earlier. And there is absinthe in this, which was Baudelaire's favorite. I was like, I smell absinthe and lemon. So. That's actually not terrible. That's better than last week. And there's absinthe in it. And that's really hard for me to say. And I actually put more absinthe in here, probably, than the recipe required. Well, I'm doing intermittent fasting, so I'm going to be messed up in about 20 minutes here. I think this might be the best cocktail I've made so far. That's really good. That and the gin fizz. Oh, the gin fizz was awesome. It was so much fun. For whom? Okay. It was <laughs> It was fun to drink. It okay. was not fun to shake. For whom? Uh, we also have two different kinds of cheese on the cheese board today. We have a Port Salut, which is a very, very mellow cheese. And we have a Triple Cream a Presidential Brie. They're both very, very sticky and very, very soft. But I chose more mellow flavors because we're drinking absinthe. And she brought mini toast. I did bring mini toast. Thank you. I figured the texture would be better, but it will also mean that we will turn into one of those Korean uh, mukbang channels, which is going to be like crunching and slurping and ASMR this morning. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But yeah, we're reading French poetry today, so it felt appropriate um, to drink absinthe and have little pieces of toast and very, very sticky cheese. Just so soft. So soft. So soft, the cheese. So there are four particular poems that we focused on. Um, yes. The Flowers of Evil, Be Drunk, The Albatross, and A Carcass. Yeah. Uh, this one's going to be different than Sappho. Um, longtime listeners to the pod will know that Sappho was a bit of a Greek train wreck. But she was our Greek train wreck. She was, but... Please understand that there's only so much uh, there's only so much that you can do with a fragment of poetry that is just three incoherent words. But with uh, Charles Baudelaire, we have full fucking poems that we can analyze and really like spend time on, and uh, be prepared to hear me speak very very lushly about a French man who hated everyone. I mean, he had a point though. Oh, yeah, like, his his misanthropy was very, very valid. I very much like that he has poems like Cats, Owls, The Pipe, Burial. Sounds like me in high school. It sounds like an Etsy search. Be drunk. The cat. <laughs> the cat, be drunk. I wish there was one that was be drunk with the cat. That's just a night for you, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's pretty traditional. Like, that's just... That's a traditional Victoria behavior. It's just drunk with cat why won't you love me in all fairness i say that to your cats i think every time i visit and uh last night i did watch drunk history while drinking gin so what did i do last night oh i drank uh, a little thing of rosé while watching live pd i'm living the dream you are living the dream i'm living the dream okay so let's talk a little bit about his visual style just for a minute yes um, I, I read a, a thing where a teacher referred to his style as giving someone a very lavishly wrapped present and then inside there's a dead rat. And 
I'm kind of here for that. Like, yeah, I can see that because uh, here's the thing with poetry is, especially when you translate poetry, sometimes you throw off lines and like word counts and everything. So I do feel like, yes, please. Eating cheese. I do feel like it's important to, if you are reading this for pleasure or for school, to find a copy that has both English and French, uh, because definitely you lose some of the rhyme scheme and you lose some of the uh, je ne sais quoi of what he's talking about when you try to uh, read this in English like a filthy muggle. Well, and that he is very, in French, he's very particular about his rhyme schemes and keeping mm-hmm. things very tight and precise poetry-wise. Mm-hmm. So when you read them in English, it does kind of come off. Now, here's the problem. I don't speak French. So I kind of... (laughs) Amanda does. (laughs) I'm trying to learn Russian for future overlords. Um, Okay, ma'am. Ma'am. Dosvatania. It's like really the only thing I have. And that's because of X-Files. But... Anyway. I can't say anything that's podcast appropriate in Russian. I can only say things like I drink vodka and yes and no. It's it's a very slow going process. Please appreciate also that um the page before this is Victor Hugo's poetry and I have the last line of one of his poems highlighted that says Spirit you cheated me. I still know nothing. <laughs> it, that feels very appropriate for our lives right now. <laughs> I, so Amanda's was, actually what was I doing? a real textbook I am from college. Yes. Which is amazing. Yeah, keep your fucking books. Like, you're not going to get that money back. Just keep them. Unless it's like a biology textbook and you're never going to look at it. Oh, yeah. Like, I sold my math book. Oh, I I kept all mine from um, when I was studying in Scotland, like a bougie hag. Actually, more like a boozy hag. But, uh, Scotland. I think I hate you for both of those. Scotland was amazing. It sounds like. It is amazing. I want to go back. And they might finally get their independence. After the whole prime minister thing. Yeah. You got your one political. Here's mine. Oh. Not my prime minister. I don't have time for to talk about Boris. Um, I don't want to talk about Boris. I feel like he's like a... He's like a windigo. You keep talking about it. He'll show up. Um, so it's important to have a good translation because French, like Japanese and like many other languages, uh, certain words have certain meanings based on context. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a good translation is very, very important. I have the Oxford World Classic uh, with parallel French text. I think this might be one of the best versions of a lot of these poems. So if you listen to me talk about uh, Verlaine and Rimbaud, uh, I also use this text. It has a ton of biographical information in the front, all organized uh, by person, and then a lot of translation notes in the back. It might be a little bit, air quotes, difficult to find because it's a textbook, but I really do think it's worth it. Um, Because, again, like when you're reading French poetry, it's, I don't think that you lose something translating from French to English, but I think depending on the poet, there's a certain, like, something. Especially, like, I have an entire book of a Japanese death poetry, because of course I do. Because of course I do. And like haiku, because you have that particular rhyme structure, that line structure, uh, you lose that oftentimes when you translate from Japanese to English. So it doesn't make it any less spectacular. It doesn't make it any less interesting. It just, you definitely, you are losing something in translation. Pun, pun two. Pun two. Um, 
I will say though that the to the reader to the flowers of evil might be one of my favorite things in the entire world. Is it short enough that we can read it or Yeah I can give you a line or two from it. It's the second stanza of To the Reader from the Flowers of Evil. Our sins are stubborn, our contrition lacks. We offer lavishly our vows of faith and turn black and turn back gladly to the path of filth, thinking mean tears will wash away our stains. Almost like someone has a problem with religion. Almost. Almost. Uh, the Flowers of Evil is technically like several poems all mashed together into one epic that feels like really just one man complaining a lot. I mean, I'm here for it. I didn't say it was bad. I just said that that's what it was. Zero part of me said that that was bad. I intentionally have a copy of like my poetry from high school that's over in the corner, hidden as far away as possible so nobody ever finds it mm-hmm. from after I, when I read Baudelaire, because specifically Metamorphosis of the Vampire because I was goth and I thought I was so and edgy. Yeah. Don't look at your high school yearbooks, guys. It'll only destroy your life. I found the first fan fiction I ever wrote. You did? I did. Did it hurt a little bit? Yes. Did you feel like you were going to cry? No, not cry. I was proud of I was proud of 12-year-old uh, Little Goblin Amanda, uh, but also very disappointed. <laughs> So, do you want to read Flowers of Evil? I would. I can't find it in my phone. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, I don't know if this one has that full version. It has the to the reader section. So, here's the problem with the Flowers of Evil. Uh, it's very, very long. It's very, very long. I'm trying to find Be Drunk right now, so we can just go into that one. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of everything. Well, in mine, it's translated Get Drunk. So the translation yells at you? Yeah, with like a capital, all capitals, exclamation point. That's pretty accurate. And kind of with our our thing, it's relatively short, so I'm going to read it. By all means. It's the English translation, so I apologize. Again, I don't speak French. One should always be drunk. That's all that matters. That's our one imperative need. So as not to feel time's horrible burden that breaks your shoulders and bows you down, you must get drunk without ceasing. But with what? With wine, with poetry, or with virtue, as you choose, but get drunk. As if at some time on the steps of a palace, in the green grass of a ditch, in the bleak solitude of your room, you are waking up when drunkenness has already abated. Ask the wind, the wave, a star, the clock, all that which flees, all that which groans, all that which rolls, all that which sings, all that which speaks. Ask them what time it is. And the wind, the wave, the star, the bird, the clock will reply, it is time to get drunk so that you may not be the martyred slaves of time. Get drunk, get drunk, and never pause for rest with wine, with poetry, or with virtue as you choose. Dang. (laughs) So, correction. The Flowers of Evil is not just like a stanza of a poem. It's a collection of his poetry. Oh, okay. It's just the collection. So we're not dumb. Well, we're kind of dumb. So technically, we're all reading from the flowers of evil. I remember it being, like, something that he does talk about. It's been a while since I've taken this class. Okay, so I feel a lot better now because I was going through going, I know the collection's called the flowers of evil. You're doing just fine. Okay. We made an error in our notes, guys. I'm sorry. Sorry. Please still love us. (sighs) Did I tell you about finding that note 
from my or that I wrote to my mom when I was like seven that says please love me. Damn. Yeah. And oh my mom laughed so hard when I found it and gave it to her. And she's like, you know, I never stopped loving you, right? I'm That's like, adorable. Oh, okay. Now it's on their fridge, which I think is hilarious and also very sad. I mean, a little sad. So I got really confused at one point in time because um, you had mentioned the albatross. And I was like, wait, isn't that the one about the boat? And then I realized that was not the Baudelaire one. No. Albatross, is, uh, I guess, are a very big symbol in a lot of literature they are but let's not jump the shark okay be drunk be drunk thoughts i like it because it's not necessarily just telling you to drink wine although that is an option that is very much an option that's literally our entire uh thesis is that literature is something that is best taken with liquor (laughs) yeah it's kind of the embodiment of our podcast literally (laughs) Um, and as of which we're drinking Corpse Revivors yep. and discussing Baudelaire. So I don't know that I've ever felt more bougie than I do right now. I, I found like a cheese knife. She found a cheese knife. In Tori's uh, knife cabinet area. Which I inherited from my grandfather and had no idea what it was. And she did not know it was a cheese knife. Grandpa Bill, thank you for being bougie. I greatly appreciate it. Um, I also do like this. Um, we'll t- when we talk about Baudelaire's uh, life. We will find out that he was quite the substance user. He was a substance user slash abuser. Um, which goes back to that whole idea that like, to be a creator, to be an artist, you must usually have some kind of affliction. Which is not necessarily true. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I never really understood that because I know the few times that I have been drunk, I could not string a sentence together. Yeah, it makes it very hard for you to... I mean, like, you think you're being more creative than you are. Yeah. Like, I I kind of... I don't get that. But I also don't really get off on being drunk. I like being controlled too much. I do really like his visuals about being... Like, waking up on the steps of a palace. Or in the bleak solitude of your room. Like... Here are some options. You can get drunk and be at this fantastic party and then you wake up from it. Or you can be drunk in your own bedroom. Guess what? At some point you're going to wake up and you're going to have to figure out how to go back into the state. It almost feels like he's encouraging people to meditate. Yeah, that that there is a sort of meditative... Well, and considering the kinds of substances he used, I can definitely see why in his mind he think he would think that this would bring him some closer to enlightenment. Laudanum is a hell of a drug. And back then, absinthe did have a hallucinogenic ingredient. Mm-hmm. It doesn't anymore. No, that got banned in the U.S. Yeah. So if you're ever that person who's afraid of absinthe, uh, it will not make you hallucinate. Realistically, it is so strong that you probably won't really get that drunk off of it. Yeah, here I think our main ingredient now is little wormwood, which Mm -hmm. is different from regular wormwood. Mm -hmm. Just in case you were wondering. Also, what was that really cool website you found? Oh, the Wormwood Society. There is a whole website for people who drink absinthe and want to talk about it. Yeah, I was looking up uh, cheese pairings last night because I love you all, and I want to do this right. And I discovered the Wormwood Society, and I eagerly await my invitation. I I would love to join. So you had put a note in here that made me laugh, mm-hmm. a proto-Wes Anderson. So Wes Anderson might be my favorite director that is a Quentin Tarantino. 
But you've got a Tarantino movie to see this month, friend. I sure do, and I have a free ticket for Milo Drafthouse. Mm-hmm. So uh, Wes Anderson very meticulously sets up things and feelings and just so much emotional stunting, and it all just feels very Baudelaire, just like this emotional ubermensch. <laughs> just yeah, I made my husband watch The Life Aquatic the other day. <clears throat> and it would be all right if I call you dad. No. No. <laughs> How about Steve D? Like, it, it's great because Matthew Gray Goobler is in it, and that's, I'm going to tie that back to our Poe episode about my love for him. Yes. Um, but you're watching it. It's this, like, ridiculous little romp. Everything's going on, and then all of a sudden it's like, dad. And that's pretty much Wes Anderson mm-hmm. and Baudelaire. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean... So the To the Reader to the Flowers of Evil, I think, still is very, very good because as I'm going through it, it talks a lot about terrible things and a lot of discussions of whores and just, he's a very, very visceral poet. Very he's visceral. He's a very visceral poet. Um, I suppose this segues us as naturally as we can to the albatross. Uh, so my problem is then all I can think of is that, I want to say it's like a Disney movie like i'm an albatross and i'm it's the rescuers problem. there you go i know there was the rescuers and the rescuers down under yeah that's i love uh, the rescuers because it's ava gabor just like doing her best just being ava gabor as a mouse yeah and then she does it again in the aristocats oh that's right i know i know what did we do to deserve ava gabor i don't know my husband was going over the different um cats from the Aristocats yesterday when we were in the car on the woodwork. And that was kind of fascinating because I was like, wait, to lose? Oh. I don't speak French. That's just... So at work, uh, me and one of my coworkers have been, like, using Ava Gabor's little, like, accent for each other for, for, like, honestly a good week now. And just, like, her, to lose? To lose? Where are you? Like, just... Who let her be in this movie? Walt Disney. It's so perfect, but it also, like, children can't appreciate that. No. There's no child that understands. Well, it's like Peggy Lee singing in Lady and the Tramp. Like, if you're a kid, you don't pick that up. Or Carol Channing in that horrible Thumbelina movie. I wanted to block that out for the rest of eternity. Thanks a lot. Sometimes you just have to marry the mole. No. <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners under 25, <laughs> there's a really, really weird adaptation of Thumbelina that was animated. Thanks, Don Bluth, for ruining my childhood. That was about the same time as uh, the one about pollution. My brain will not. Fern Gully. Gully. I love that movie. My name is Betty. Fun fact, the movie that got Robin Williams cast in uh, Aladdin. Oh. We're not talking about Baudelaire. Sorry. It's not your fault. We like to avoid being hurt. Uh, No, you're done. Um, So, should we move on to the albatross? We can. I'm trying to decide if this is short enough to read in its entirety. What do you think? I think it's short enough. All right. Again, we're reading in English because I have no choice. Often when bored, the sailors of the crew trap albatross, the great birds of the sea, 
Mild travelers escorting in the blue ships gliding on the ocean's mysteries. And when the sailors have them in have them on the planks, hurt and distraught, these kings of all outdoors piteously let trail along their flanks their great white wings dragging like useless oars. This villager, how comical and weak, once handsome, how unseemingly and inept. One sailor pokes a pipe into his beak, another mocks the flyer's hobbled step. The poet is a kinsman in the clouds who scoffs at archers and loves a stormy day, but on the ground among the hooting crowds he cannot walk, his wings are in the way. Your translation was a lot more poetic than mine was. Oh yeah, this translation puts in work. <laughs> Mine's like, he can't walk. <laughs> this bird, it dumb, it can't walk. Uh, this is actually one of the only things that I've ever considered getting tattooed on my body is that last stanza. Ooh. Like, I, I'm very, very fickle, and I don't want tattoos, but I do want tattoos. That last stanza, when that hit me in college, was like, you understand me in a way that nothing else has ever understood me. Of just this delicate, perfect, pathetic little ubermensch, just so special and so wonderful. A, like, a, like a BBC Sherlock, just so delicate, precious little cinnamon roll, too good for this world. You don't belong here, little poet. You don't belong. You're too good for these muggles who can't appreciate you and your art. Getting into it. I mean, but like, I I hate it now as a line. I love it and I hate it because this whole idea that like... Well, there's also, like when you're in college and you're in high school and you have been reading and you pull these lines into you. And knowing you don't feel special and you're made fun of and people tease you. Yeah, you feel like there's got to be something that is so magical about me that people can't handle it. And guess what? It's true. Have you ever seen the SNL skit, Wells for Boys? No. <laughs> so there's an SNL skit that's called uh, Wells for Sensitive Boys. And it's like a fake Fisher Price thing. It's just like a well. There's this little boy who's sitting there and it's like, sometimes you're not like other boys. You're sensitive and shy and that's okay. And it's like this like introspective little boys like sitting behind a well. And it's like, now from our other line of sensitive of toys for sensitive boys, a balcony for them to for them to proclaim upon, a shattered mirror for when he wants to look at his fra- his fractured psyche. And I'm like, fuck you. We will link this on Facebook because yes. this is one of my favorite like SNL skits. Now I'm going to go watch this. This delicate child who's just sitting in front of this well. It's like he whispers something and the mom is like it's like oh look at him it's like what is he doing like it's like, it's a whisper it's a dream it's like oh shut up you're not special you're not special little child outside in the field you're not go outside and play with your brother one of my friends and I had this whole conversation about high school and college and stuff like that and the realization that all of the things that you get made fun of are how you end up making your friends yes. when you get older. Accurate. Like, you're going to read 47 books in two weeks. What? It's not that hard. Yes, it is. What is wrong with you? Or I got called vampire girl a lot. Yeah. Same. Guess what? When you're an older goth, you chaperone all the younger baby goths and you have a lot of friends. Yeah. I mean, realistically, it's true. But, um, that line really spoke to me when I was in high I mean, it still speaks to me. Like, I'm being I'm being unnecessarily harsh on this line. It means a lot to me, and it still does. But just this idea that the writer is this precious creature that is too good for this world. There's a Spencer Reed who just doesn't belong. 
that's where I, that's where it really felt like Wes Anderson to me. It's like you have this character who is just too good, too pure, too rare to live, too weird to die. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for completing the Panic at the Disco illusion. I hate oh, you, but I love you. I was actually going into uh, Hunter S. Thompson, but well, Panic at the Disco used it as an album title because, of course, they did. Because, of course, they did. Um. But I love the albatross. Um, I mean, I don't really know how to analyze it for you. He says it. Uh, I'm a poet. Look at how special I am. I don't belong in these filthy dregs with all these people that don't appreciate me. Is that not the thesis of the poem? That is the thesis of the poem. Is I don't belong here. Let me get drunk. Do you ever kind of feel like that at work? All the time. (laughs) Every moment that I'm alive. So... Again, the beauty of translation. Mm-hmm. We have your poem written down as a carcass. I believe mine is translated as carrion. <laughs> because, you know, that's how we roll. This one's really long. Yeah, we're not going to read a carcass to you. I mean, unless you want to. I think that last stanza means something. We'll be like... We'll do, like, popcorn. <laughs> popcorn! Tori! <laughs> no! Please know that I, I, I got very close to hitting her with the book. Yep. I do think that that second stanza and that last stanza do are, are worth reading. Let's read them. Do you want to take that second and I'll take the last? If I can find it, yes. Okay. Or you just hand me your translation. No, this better. is my book. This is my book and you may not touch it. <laughs> so do you want me to do the second? Okay. Yeah, and I'll take the, I'll take the last one. Oh, good. I get the uh, Fifty Shades of Grey one. I mean, I can take it if you want. No, it's fine. Her legs were spread out like a lecherous whore, sweating out poisonous fumes, who opened in slick invitation style her stinking and festering womb. God damn it, Broadway. Okay, maybe that would be like goth Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, very. And then that last stanza that I quite think is nice. Ah, then, oh my beauty, explain to the worms who cherish your body so fine. That I am the keeper for corpses of love, and the form and the essence divine. Which sounds like a spell I wrote when I was in high school. Yes. Like when you're in that that phase, which you're like, I'm going to be a witch. Yeah. Everybody's like, okay, but it's an actual religion. And you're like, yeah, okay. Um, I definitely encourage you all to read the full uh, A Carcass, where Baudelaire talks very extensively about a decomposing body of a prostitute. From what we can assume. I mean, realistically, I think every woman in Baudelaire's eyes was a prostitute. Pretty much. And yeah. that goes back to a lot of his history, which we'll get into in a little bit. We will. But um, that there are very few things that like gross me out. Uh, I watch a lot of crime TV. This was one of those things where it's like, why? Festering womb. I mean, it, it's visceral. It's a good description. I like it a lot. There's only so many nice ways that you can say that I love Baudelaire's poetry, which I feel like says a lot about me. It's whimsical, but also, here's a rotting human body. Yeah, and described in a way that is just so suggestive. Well, no, suggestive means it's subtle. God, nearly pornographic, nearly pornographic decomposition. So this takes us into his themes. Yes. He's very big on death. Yes. He's very big on sex. Yes. 
And he's very big on complaining about how the writer is slighted. Yes. Uh, we'll start with Death. If you go through a lot of Baudelaire's poetry, you will find Death as a very, very common theme. But mostly he likes decay and putrefaction, mm-hmm. uh, which might explain why he liked Poe so much. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he's not so much a murdery poet. He doesn't really want to talk about how the body got there. But now that the body is here, he would like to describe it lushly and beautifully. And, I mean, I will say, there is a certain horrifying beauty to putrefaction. Mm -hmm. Now, it makes me nauseous. At the uh, Museum of Death in Los Angeles, they have a ton of these very large blown-up photographs showing different stages of putrefaction and decay. And they're pretty arresting. You walk by and you just stop because on one level you're horrified because you realize that this is what's going to happen to you later. But it's also stunningly beautiful in some way. And then later you feel really uncomfortable and like, maybe I should have a drink, but... Well, it might not happen to you depending on how you're embalmed. That's true. If you're embalmed or if you're cremated or if you're, what is, there's like... Aquamation? Aquamation. There's like a whole name for it. It's like acoliosis or something. I'm sorry. I'm a terrible member of the Order of the Good Death, but... You're doing fine, sweetie. Uh, I mean, but especially if you think about when he was writing, it would not be so uncommon to be going for your, you know, morning walk of shame and find someone rotting on the side of the road. That wouldn't be so uncommon. It is would this be... like a France thing? Yeah. I mean, this is the 19th century. So we're just done with the revolution. Oh, like, okay. Yeah. That makes more sense. Like it's we're England is probably in their Victorian era. Like we're just finished with the revolution. So yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be super uncommon. Hanging out in morgues and stuff. Oh Wasn't yeah. That like a, a big day out was like going to the morgue and looking at bodies in Paris. Yes, it was a big thing. Uh, mostly because you did not know if it was a family member or not. So you would go to check and see. It's like, oh, that one's related to me or not. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they would put all the little artifacts in a little box on the feet. So if you notice something or recognize something, it's like, oh yeah, that was uh, my cousin. Well, that's super uncomfortable. Isn't it? Now we're like, Here's some pictures. That's what I think is funny in, in television. You'll always see them bring the family member into the morgue and look at the body. That's not how it works. They no. show you some pictures because they don't want to traumatize you. And they go, okay, is this Well, and they're person? also more likely to bring you artifacts. Than yes. The, because honestly, uh, by the time you are viewing someone, they are not in the condition that you left them in. Exactly. To put it very, very veiled and delicately. Uh, so unless you saw that person take their final breath and you were there and you saw it, uh, if you are at the stage where you have to visit a morgue, they are likely not going to resemble the person you once knew. Right. So it's more important to look at artifacts like, oh, well, I remember that's what they were wearing last, or that was the necklace I gave them or something like that. So he talks a lot about putrefaction and a lot of very, very lush terms. Which I think is gross, but also wonderful. He's so goth and I love him. What's fun, too, about the sex portion of this is you can horrify your 11th grade English teacher. Sorry, Mr. Harrison. um, About, oh, look, this is what I'm reading. 
it's very, very dirty. It is. I, I think here's where I struggle with Baudelaire a little bit is, um, you know, you can always tell when a male writer isn't like women. Yes. And he very much doesn't like women. And it's not that I don't think that he didn't like women. I think that he definitely saw women as a utility. They were a thing that existed in nature. Well, with all the stuff that went on with the ladies that he was with, I I kind of understand. He feels very much like that guy who's like, but I'm a nice guy. Why won't you listen to me? It's like, well, you're trying to force her into something, friend. Are you trying to call him a white knight? Yes. I don't like that. I don't like it. But I also don't disagree. <laughs> I also don't disagree with you. But, like, you can definitely tell that a, a lot of the ways that... So, I don't like Law & Order SVU because of the way it uh, makes death, especially in violence against women, uh, very sensual. Mm -hmm. I have that problem with Baudelaire a little bit. That the way he describes sex and death, especially in the form of women, and it's this beautiful, charming, uh, delightful thing. And as a, as a biological woman, where that risk of violence is very real, that hits a little close to home. Well, we also live in a city that, in Texas, has the highest rate of uh, domestic violence against women. <coughs> Guns! Sorry. Thanks, San Antonio! Yeah, um, but like, that... I love so much of his work, but I'm also, like, so uncomfortable with so much of it. It's kind of like me and Hemingway. Yeah, like, it's 100% you and Hemingway. Okay. Yeah. Um, he also does, not just in The Albatross, but in a few of his other poems, like, he loves to talk about, like, the writer as, like, something else. Um, the Albatross is the most aggressive of it, but he does it a little bit, like, in Spleen and into, in, um, in to the Reader from Flowers of Evil, where it's just, like, Look at me. Look at how important I am. Look how special I am as a writer. And I'm never going to say that if you are that kind of person that you aren't special because I'm that kind of person. I was that weird vampire goth kid writing like gross fan fiction for things that I didn't know about. You could tell. Oh yeah. I read my sex scene from 10th grade. I did not lose my virginity till college. And, uh, you can tell I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, you can definitely tell that I am parroting the things that other people said um, about those acts. But, and I, I, I get it. I'm never going to say that person isn't special. But also, like, I think there's a certain humility usually that comes with it. I think when you're aware of how special you are, you lose a little bit of that specialness at times. Because there's something, I don't get off being a know-it-all in weaponizing it. Like, or not anymore. I used to when I was a kid. I was 100% that kid. But, like, now that I'm older, that doesn't get you anywhere. You, like, it just shuts people down. It builds like, a lot of enemies. So, I don't know. It, it might be, like, that little bit of maturation, I suppose, that, like, makes a lot of that wear a little thin for me. Because, like, yeah, you don't, like, there's only so much that being a pedant gets you. And the older you get to, the less you necessarily run around with pots and pans like uh, Bart Simpson going, look at me, I'm so great. Like, because time wears you down, which is why you get drunk. Yeah, and not just that. I, oh my God, how do I say this? That's only like a raging narcissist. I think the older you get, the more you realize that people are dumb. Oh, yes. Like, I, I don't think that I'm very smart. 
And see, I think you're brilliant, but that's neither here nor there. But, like, when I went to college, when I was in college, I, I was surrounded by people that were all on my level. I, if you look at my friends, I, like, Tori is a friend of mine. I am surrounded by people who are on my level. And then I go out into the muggle world, and I'm confronted with the fact that fundamentally I am not like other people. And that's the thing, too. Um, just as I've gotten older, I've realized you are never going to be the smartest person in the room, but you're also probably never going to be the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. I mean, that might be different if I go to a conference at Los, like Los Alamos or something, but you're always going to be on some level where there's someone above you and someone below. So you just have to do the best with what you are. Yeah. And not tell everybody how special you are in your poetry friend. I mean, you can do that, but I don't know. Like I I'm, I'm so conflicted about that line nowadays because especially the way that the internet kind of um, weaponizes that specialness. That you can't criticize me at all because of look at how special I am. It's like, no, nothing is without sun. I am allowed to critique your horrible fanfiction, Becky. Well, we also have a tendency on the internet to go from zero to that escalated quickly. Where somebody's suddenly like, oh, I don't like what you said. So I've doxed all of your private information so people can come out to you. Yeah. I experienced that firsthand. I wrote an article about uh, cosplay. It was very specific. It was very dedicated to a certain type of cosplay. Mm-hmm. Nobody read the article. They just felt like sending me death threats. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where later on I was on a hit list and got a phone call from some people. So uh, that's one of the reasons that our Twitter is very basic. <laughs> if you would just give me Twitter, we wouldn't have a problem. I will give you our Twitter. It's yours now. But, like, no, it's it's true. It's We do... I can still love Baudelaire's work and be able to criticize the parts that I think are misogynistic, that I think are excessively hedonistic, the parts that are just flat-on weak writing. I'm allowed to do all those things. This was a terrible cheese board for this podcast. It's delicious. It's it's beautiful. We'll eat more cheese off mic. Um, But just because I love his work doesn't mean that I can't find fault in it, and I do. I, I find a lot of faults in his work sometimes, but I I would 100% get that last stanza of the albatross like on my shoulder in a tasteful font. And I think that's the beauty of rereading books that you loved in high school and books that you hated in high school is you'll have a different perspective. Yeah. Um, spoiler, if you read my personal blog, uh, I'm working on a post about my relationship with anime uh, and how it's changed because I've been an anime fan for 20-something years now, and what the thesis of that post isn't that anime has changed, it's that I've changed. I'm not the same person I was when I was 12 watching this stuff. There'd be a bigger problem if I was. Uh, So it's not that these weird Japanese cartoons change, it's that I've changed. Uh, I'm definitely not the same person that I was when I was in college. I mean... I I think there'd be more problems if I was that exact same person who felt in every fiber of being that line so much so that it is marked multiple times in pencil because only mark things in pencil in books. Don't do it in pen. It's disrespectful. 
So Baudelaire also had a lot of influence. Yeah, um, he was a really, really influential poet. And um, honestly, you see him, a lot of the fringe bad boys tend to be credited somehow with kicking off sur- like surrealism in literature. Uh, your mileage on that varies. I personally can see it, but I don't necessarily agree. I think that there are other authors that were doing that. But I think because there is this kind of prickliness with the French bad boys of poetry that we like to ascribe a lot of things to them that they didn't necessarily do. Because if you don't know about these guys, welcome to the club. Most people don't. If you do, you are willing to go to war for each and every single one of them, even though all of them were terrible people. Are we talking about Verlaine and Rimbaud? They were all friends. Okay. <laughs> that. I'm jumping the shark a little bit, but um, that wasn't that was one of the only notes that I forgot to put in was I cannot impress upon you all enough that these guys were all friends. They all knew each other. No, literally, uh, Rimbao, when he was talking about wanting to meet Verlaine, it was Baudelaire who said you should do it. These men all knew each other. They all like they were all in the same circle. They talked to each other, like they hung out. So this whole idea of, like, writer, like, off in some fucking tower, you know, just alone drinking laudanum and... No, like, these guys spoke to each other. They talked... They shared drugs. They shared women and men, and they talked about it. And it it was like a giant deviantart chat room. (laughs) Like, these guys were all friends. Like, and I think that's wonderful. The idea... I could not imagine walking into an opium den in Paris and it being Baudelaire, Rimbaud, and Verlaine. That sounds fantastic to me. This is like me with the expatriates in the 20s, but... Yeah, you had the expats in the 20s and I have the French bad boys of poetry. Um, So I'm not willing to give him a lot of credit on surrealism. You mostly get that with, like, the albatross and and a, a carcass. But... Sure, whatever. Surrealism. You also have a note that he helped bring Gothic horror to France, which actually quite literally with translations of Poe. Right. Um, The French really didn't have a tradition of horror, uh, mostly because as far as they were concerned, their lives were miserable enough. Well, especially, you know, like you were saying, right after the revolution. Yeah, I mean, we're talking like, I mean, if this is 1840-something, 1850, like, we're a few years after... We were decades after the revolution. So, like, there is no reason to have horror. Uh, Hell is empty. All of the devils are here. You're welcome for that. Um, But he was also quite debaucherous. And that debauchery did shine a lot in his work. So when you talk about, like, the French bad boys of poetry, like your Verlaine Zinger and Bows, you can see where Baudelaire's bodiness... um, kind of eggs them on, which I think is wonderful. Like, especially Rimbaud. Like, Rimbaud's poetry from the time when he started being very, very young to, like, meeting Baudelaire and Verlaine and then, like, getting to the place where he's writing the asshole sonnet, which is my favorite thing. (laughs) Have I told you? You have told me about that. I don't know if you've told our listeners, though. So the asshole sonnet is something that uh, Arthur Rimbaud wrote, where literally it was a critique that someone had written of one of his poems, and he he just used it to wipe his ass. And it was the asshole sonnet. And I'm like, you are a petty, petty man, and I love you. Um, You are a petty, petty man who shacked up with a dude way too old for you. 
Um, but he built, he brought a lot of that debauchery in and, um, it was a lot of substance abuse. It was a lot of drugs. It was a lot of so much absence, so much absence, so much absence. Um, and you can see that decadence in his poetry. You absolutely can that. This is a man who's gone through most of his life kind of sloshed and not really here and very detached, but also feeling very entitled and having a lot of feelings. So many feelings. I have a lot of feelings. It's very Phantom of the Opera. So, a little bit about Baudelaire. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born April 9th, 1821. Died August 31st, 1867. He died at 31, you know, like all good poets do. As you do. As you do. He was born in Paris to a civil servant slash artist, Joseph uh, Francois Baudelaire. Yeah. Who was 34 years old, 34 years older than his mother, than Charles's mother, Caroline. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> So his dad ended up dying when Charles was just a kid, and then she, his mom, just like, oh, okay, I'm gonna get remarried. I mean, she was a, she was very very young. She was very young, kind of pretty. Um, Were you there? No, there are pictures. Anyway, <laughs> Charles' stepdad was a lieutenant colonel, Jacques Alpique, and Alpique became an ambassador to the noble courts. And Charles did not like his stepdad at all, and a lot of that was because he was no longer his mom's sole focus. He ended up referring to his stepfather as the general, which is a long line of torturing your stepfather. I just, I don't know. It might, I might be biased because I am aware of your adventures in parenthood. Yes. But uh, the whole, like, I don't like my step-parent thing is just very tired to me. Yes. I kind of wonder what my, uh, my kid refers to me as, but uh, she seems to be okay with me. She's also not a teenager yet, so. Enjoy, enjoy these years. So Charles went to boarding school in Lyon and was described by his classmates as, quote, much more refined and distinguished than any of our fellow pupils. Also how I was described when I was in school. He ended up sleeping with a lot of prostitutes and probably contracted gonorrhea and syphilis. There's no probably. Okay. There's no probably. He did. See, this is why I would work for the courts, because I'd be like, alleged, and you'd be like, no, he, he freaking killed him. <laughs> so, oh, God. like Oscar Wilde, he got into trouble because he ran up a lot of debt and clothes. As you do. Because you gotta look fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, he told his family, quote, I don't feel I have a vocation for anything, especially because his stepdad kept trying to get him to go into law or diplomacy or something useful, and he said, no, I'm going into literature. How dare you say that literature is not something useful. It is useful. I love it. I do it. Anyway, mm. his stepdad sent him on a voyage to Calcutta to try to reduce his bohemianness, which I'm sorry, but that is the most bohemian shit ever. It was literally Bohemia. That's literally what it was called back then. Yes. It was not Calcutta until like much, much later. So you are concerned about your son having bohemian ideas. So you send him to actual fucking Bohemia. And my brain kind of exploded when I was reading that. Just, were, were you hoping that he would get bored? Is this like when parents force their kid to smoke an entire pack of cigarettes because they smoked one? Yeah, or is this like, I'm concerned about you being gay. Let's put you in a lot of sports. Like, yeah, the football will make me less gay. <laughs> That'll do it. So when he returned from India, he, of course, started the Fleur de Mal, 
um, which is his like big collection. Yeah. At 21, he got a large inheritance, but of course squandered about half of it within a few years because those velvet suits and cravats won't buy themselves. They sure will not. His family obtained a decree to place his property in trust, and it super pissed him off. They're like, listen, you don't know how to spend money. Well, you know how to spend it. You just don't know how to do it responsibly. And they're like, we're just trying to teach you how to put your finances in order. That did not go well. No, it did not go well. Baudelaire hung out in artistic circles, and he was known as a dandy. He fell in love with his mistress, Jean Duval, and his family was very irritated. Mm -hmm. His mom referred to Duval as the Black Venus and said that she tortured him and stole his money. Baudelaire did try to kill himself during this period, so who really knows? So about a month after the Fleur de Mal went on sale, the Ministry of Interior Department on Public Safety said the collection was in contempt of laws to protect religion and morality. Yes. So 13 of his poems were called out and they ended up being banned until after the Second World War. So they didn't come out until May 31st, 1949. He and his editor were both fined. The poems were removed from the collection and then printing went back on as normal. Yeah, um, I definitely can see why and how you would you would have to have some issue with his work. It's very licentious. It's very licentious. So his, quote, scandalous poetry makes a lot of people accuse him of being a satanic poet. But to be honest, he's pretty tame. He's pretty much just a goth poet who is really bad with money and women. Yeah, um, we talked about Satanic Panic, didn't we? Uh, maybe you... We talked about Rod Farrell. Oh, God, Rod Farrell. Okay, yeah, okay. we did talk about that. So, Satanic Panic is this thing that, um, good, well-intending, mostly Christian parents, uh, like to say that anything that could corrupt children is Satanic. Uh, I know during a time my aunts were concerned that my anime was Satanic. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it just It's easy to ascribe Satanism to these things. There is a cool uh, non-traditional reading of anything being Satanic, as in Satan was the one that wanted to bring intelligence and light to people, uh, which we'll talk about more next month when we read Paradise Lost. This is kind of, I just realized how much we tie into like the next book every time. That's weird. Okay. Do you not know that I theme? You theme everything. So, Why do you think we're drinking a second corpse reviver? Because it's so good. <laughs> I'm the themer. I'm okay. So I whittled down our costumes for Halloween, either doing Sherlock and Moriarty or Will and Hannibal. <laughs> I'm willing to let our audience pick, but basically, either way, I end up being a genius mastermind, and you are just doing your best. I'm doing my best. Um. Just for those who are interested, there's a podcast called American Hysteria that does an incredible job about the satanic panic in the Mm -hmm. 80s and about how many people were falsely accused and fired and accused of things like eating babies and just insane stuff that never happened, but people have great imaginations. Shout out to the actual Church of Satan, uh, which is a mostly free love and very accepting religion that accepts homosexuality, free thought. And is hilariously feminist. As a Lutheran, I still have a hard time with it. 
mostly because I asked one of my friends about it. He was like, oh, no, no, you're just, uh, we're aesthetic sat or we're aesthetic Satanists, meaning we're basically just um, atheists who like to cause problems. So that's what I was told. I don't know. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, if you, like, Satanism as a religion, I mean, under the Anton LaVey model is very much that. Now, there are, like, murder Satanists, but they don't like them, so. Yes. Is everything okay? Yeah, I heard a click and I got really concerned about our podcast. Oh, God. The ghost of Baudelaire has returned. I think, no, we're still getting our audio. We're good. Oh, praise okay. be. Anyway. Um... With all of his debt, his crappy health, and not putting out new work, he started to move from place to place to hide out from his creditors. As you do. He completed translations of Edgar Allan Poe, helping spread the gospel of Poe to France. Yes. He had a lot of chronic conditions towards the end of his life, and a lot of them were from stress and the abuse of laudanum. I feel a little attacked. Oh, to backpedal on Poe, um, cannot emphasize enough how much that relationship was important to Baudelaire. Yes. And uh, he referred to Poe and himself as being twin spirits, which I think is very, very sweet. Uh, I would like that romance montage of Baudelaire showing Poe around Paris and Poe just being miserable the entire time. So my brain keeps changing this. Um, there's an online comic called Hark of Agrant that at one point in time put up a thing with Victor Hugo and Poe, and it was Hugo sending letters to Poe saying bros. And my brain changed Hugo to Baudelaire now and so now I mentally consider it to be canon. I think it is. I mean, I there is a lot of talk about Baudelaire being a bisexual and if he had a romance with Edgar Allan Poe, I think that would only make him the much more interesting to me. Hey, fiction writers. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, Baudelaire ended up suffering a massive stroke in 1866 at like in his 30s, guys, and spent the rest of the month um, he was alive in semi-paralyzed fashion. He died August 31st, and he is buried in... Please pronounce this for me, because I won't get it right. Montparnasse? See, I was like, Montparnasse um, Cemetery in Paris. Montparnasse. So, you say it correctly, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, some of Baudelaire's poetry was published posthumously, which allowed his mom to pay off a lot of his debts. Which is wonderful. Because his mom ended up dying four years after he did. I do have one note uh, taken from the book by Carl Shaw, Ten Ways to Recycle a Corpse, which is one of my favorite uh, anthologies of weird facts. Uh, Baudelaire is listed under, under the section of five artists and writers who were more wasted than Keith Richards. He is underneath Arthur Rimbaud, which I think is appropriate. And it goes a little something like this. At the age of 21, the kinky French poet and post-romantic debauchee inherited a fortune from his father, a lapsed philandering Catholic priest, but within two years had blown most of it on prostitutes, hashish, and opium. Baudelaire was a member of the Club de Hachinin, a hashish club which met in the 1840s that counted Alexander Dumas and Eugene Delacroix among its numbers. He wrote widely on hash and not on hash, noting among the drugs most efficient in creating what I call the artificial ideal the most convenient and the most handy are hashish and opium. He spent the rest of his life in a semi-poverty, living in flea-back hotels, eking out a meager existence as an art critic and translator of Edgar Allan Poe. Which is very, very sad. Which is very, very sad. Uh, in 1857, he published a collection of sexually ex explicit poems, Le Fleur de Mal, resulting in an obscenity trial. Which I feel like 
I would probably have to deal with. I would probably be charged with obscenity and have to deal with an obscenity trial. I know a lot of porn producers do. Would you Would you defend me? I'd try. <laughs> and you'd be like, no. But I did. That's not what I said. And I'd be like... <laughs> <laughs> Slytherin, quiet. It would be like it'd be like those like very very short episodes of Law and Order SVU where it's like, but you never, I murdered him. No, you didn't murder. <laughs> Stop it! I'm your defense attorney. <sighs> but yes, he he did so many drugs. So many drugs. He did so many drugs. So important question: yes. Did you have to read this in school? I took an entire class on French literature because, of course, I fucking did. Um, <laughs> and yes, I did have to read him in school, and I definitely can see his appeal. I do think that he's a crazy man, but he's my crazy man, and I love him. So I didn't have to read this in school because we had a pretty tame education, so I read Baudelaire by myself in my bedroom, mostly because he had poems about vampires and Lamia and um, the island of Lesbos, and I was very fascinated. Yeah, he wrote a lot about like girl on girl stuff, SM. Like, he. He's like a very, very lovely French Oscar Wilde. Do you think they would have been friends? No. I think Oscar <laughs> Wilde would have pissed him off within five minutes. And I think that Baudelaire would have been like, You are trash! You are Irish trash! And then I... they would have had a whole fight. I think I'm still very caught off guard with how quickly you said no. Well, part of me is just picturing it like Celebrity Deathmatch from the 90s, and that's a problem. No, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of it less like um, like that show Deadliest Warrior. and more. Oh. I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows. And more like just, like if they were both in Starbucks or something. I know there was no Starbucks, but like, like if there was like in Starbucks. I think they would have been polite with each other, but then I think Wild would have said something witty off the cuff that would have pissed him off. They wouldn't have had like a meet cute where like he noticed that Baudelaire was reading something really cool and was like, oh, you're reading that. And it would have been like when Harry met Sally. I'm going to need you to illustrate this. <laughs> it wouldn't have been like that. I don't imagine hearts over their heads. I well, don't know. Well, no, I, I don't think that they would. I mean, Baudelaire would probably try to take him to bed, yes, but, like, I don't think that they wouldn't have been interested in each other. I don't know. I mean, like, I, I think, I'm a bit of a sapiosexual, whereas, in, like, I think that, like, good brain sex is very important. So if I see someone reading something that is similar to my passions, I would want to introduce myself to this person. I just, like, picture Poe and uh, Baudelaire kind of hanging out. Hi. We live in San Antonio, so right outside there is a child crying. At least I'm going to pretend it is, and not the goat woman. I am just tipsy enough that that was unbridled terror. I'm just, what is that? I saw your face, and see, like, you have the appropriate responses to things. Like, fuck this, I'm out, I'm going to get eaten by a demon. And I'm like, hello, demon friend, do you like incense? And then I'm like, oh, this is a problem. You're the reason that we don't know if the spider is dead or not. No. We what? went to this place in Houston called the Wild Collection. Oh, God. And I was like, this is amazing. This is so pretty. Oh, I would love to have this odd fellow skeleton in my room. And Amanda's like, we needed to get the fuck out of here. I did not eat the lollipop that the strange Victorian man gave to us. I did it because it got washed in my clothes. I threw it away because I'm pretty sure that's how he collects corpses. Mm. Mind you, 
It was a beautiful place, and the owner was a very, very handsome man in a leather corset. He was very charming. Also, I love the wild collection. What is outside? Um, it sounds like, um, not mockingbirds. What do we call them? Grackles? Grackles having a party. Hi, we need a real studio. I'm working on it, guys. If, if we get more sponsors, we can have a real studio. So, um, we have a lot of resources for this. We have too many resources. Um, I, I was down in the beginning and was on Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a great article on poetryfoundation.org and biography.com. I yes. will make sure to include those. And then your books are? Oh, I have 10 Ways to Recycle a Corpse and 100 More Distasteful Lists by Carl Shaw. It's hilarious. And then I have six French poets of 19th century with parallel French text, which is an Oxford world classic. Fabulous. Yes, I brought two actual books with me, and you can tell they're both as old as time. So, as you are the champion of theming, yes, and we kind of already told people, but what is next month for us? We are covering Inferno Month, and we're reading Paradise Lost by John Milton. It's it's kind of an inside joke too because we live in Texas and it's hot. And we had a cold front. Our cold front what brought it down to eighty eight? Were are you complaining? No, because so. it was the one day I didn't feel like I was going to die when I walked outside. Exactly. Um, I'm very excited to cover Inferno Month, which will culminate in us uh, making me dig up an old Latin book. I'm so excited. Um, I have, and I'll, I'll take a picture of it and put it on our Instagram too, but I got the John Milton edition that has all the biblical references associated with it, because of course I did. Um, and I've listened to the audiobook and realized... I realized this a few years ago, but in The Crow, when he goes, abash the devil stood and felt how awful goodness was, that is totally from John Milton. Um, but we'll go more into that next month. Hi, I'm excited about stupid stuff. Anyway. No, I'll bring in my copy of the Apocrypha. Yes. Thank you. Of course. I like having a Catholic friend. You like having a lapsed Catholic friend. I do. It's way more. You don't like having a Catholic friend. You like having a witch. Who knows about Catholicism? <laughs> You're not wrong. Exactly. You would. We would not be friends if I was an actual, like, structured Catholic. We would not be allowed to speak to each other. Yeah, my Lutheranness would be like, yeah, but what about this? You'd be like, shh, quiet. I mean, it did come out a little bit when we went to go to that exhibit about uh, the dead pope. Yes. Uh, the natural, what is it? The funeral. The National Museum of Funeral History. Thank you. The National Museum of Funeral History. My brain doesn't work right now. It's okay. It is amazing. It's in Houston. Um, I learned so much, including Amanda teaching me about them not only smashing the ring with a hammer that the Pope wears, but also hitting him in the head after he's dead to make sure he's still dead. We also scared a bunch of church ladies. Yes, they were so excited to learn stuff. I. Very uncomfortable sometimes. Also, Amanda is a tour guide. She just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> I'm the ghost that haunts the building. You are the ghost that haunts the building. But um, I'm excited to cover Paradise Lost. I'm excited for Inferno Month because I feel like that will be the culmination kind of of what we're doing and why we're doing this. Is that the things that you did read and maybe seeing how our relationship to these works of art has changed. Oh, yes. Um, but that was Baudelaire. I hope you enjoyed and. Even the part in the beginning where we did not know what a book was. There you go. I'm going to put pictures of his cenotaph and his grave on the website as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then if you want to find us on social media, we're at Unfortunately Required Reading on Facebook. Yes. Unfortunately RR on Twitter. Unfortunately Required on Instagram. And UnfortunatelyRequiredReading.com. We are getting ahead of ourselves. We are. What are we missing? So July 31st is Harry Potter's birthday. July 31st is Harry Potter's birthday. Which means that we have to release our current chart of where we sort authors. Yes. Where do we put Baudelaire? I kind of feel like he's a Slytherin. You just want all the cool guys in Slytherin. I do. I mean, like, I feel like he's intelligent and whiny enough to be a Slytherin. Okay. Sorry, that was me calling myself out. Okay. Also, my wig is on the floor. Um, <laughs> I feel like he's not cuddly enough to be a Hufflepuff. He doesn't want to run into things like a Gryffindor. And he's smart enough to be a Ravenclaw, but he doesn't actually use that intelligence. Yeah, I think he has too much ego for Ravenclaw. I also think he's too melodramatic for Ravenclaw. So, like I said, textbook Slytherin. Fine, he's in the house with us. Yes! We, our house is insufferable. Our house is insufferable. Our, our house is... So far, everyone in our house would fight each other. Yes, it would be constant fighting. Because we put Hemingway in Slytherin. Oh, God. <laughs> our house is... It is it's very loud now. I go back and forth with Hemingway because I'm like, well, he's got a lot of Gryffindor well, tendencies. Well, do we need to, I mean, we, we can adjust the chart. Maybe we should put Hemingway to a vote. Okay. What do you guys think? Because I could, I could hear the argument of him being a Gryffindor. I think he's a little bit too much of a dick to be a Gryffindor. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think he's too much of an asshole. Well, I mean, Ron Weasley's kind of a dick. Okay. Hi. Hi. The only character in Gryffindor that I don't think is garbage. Oh, sorry. I liked Ron. He had rational, like, reactions to things. But he's also pretty racist. Hello, Slytherin. <laughs> Fair. Thank you. Okay. So let us know what you think that Ernest Hemingway is. I'm willing to humor the argument that he belongs in Gryffindor. Or maybe even Hufflepuff. Like, the I don't give a thing. I don't give a thing. Um, if you want to suggest a book or have a funny story or want to just tell us we suck, we're at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Dude, okay. we, we don't suck. Okay. We do enjoy a tangent. Uh, okay. That's, that's valid. Okay. Don't email us if you think we suck. I mean, email us constructive things, but Just please quietly scream into the void. Please know that if you do want to open that door, I will be standing on the other end of that. <laughs> it will not be Tori who receives that message. It will be me. And now we're going to go eat Brie. We are going to eat Brie. Now go read a book. Longest podcast, is it?